Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. The focus of this podcast is scrupulosity. I have a young couple married that both have scrupulosity. Their names are David and Jordan Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're really glad to be here. Yeah. I became aware of scrupulosity a few months ago and have been trying to understand it. We've done a podcast with Dr. Deborah McClendon, who wrote an article in The Ensign about scrupulosity that was very helpful for me. We had her on the podcast. We've done a podcast um, with the last, it'll be episode 199, the last 20 minutes of that is David sharing, um, no, Tim sharing some of his journey with scrupulosity. And now we have a whole uh, podcast, again, focused on scrupulosity with two people walking this road. Just by way of introduction, um, Jordan is at UVU, is it becoming a dental hygienist, if I'm saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, graduating in April, grew up in northern Utah, and um, just and we're really grateful to have her on the podcast. David is at BYU, graduating with a degree in psychology. It's one of his psychology professors that made me aware of their Instagram account that we'll talk about. David served a mission in Finland and wants to get a PhD and do research and teaching. And um, that's really cool that you have an idea of what you want to do. And I think you'll do it. Um, anything that, any facts I've miscommunicated? Sounded great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, let's start with David, because I, um, you tell us about your journey when with scrupulosity and when you were first diagnosed. How old were you? I was pretty young, um, especially talking with other people that have dealt with scrupulosity. I feel like I was diagnosed pretty early, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but I would have been 11 or 12 years old at the time. And I just remember feeling so anxious and scared that I wasn't good enough. Um, and it got to the point where every little mistake or or even perceived mistake that wasn't even a mistake, I would just become obsessed over. Um, and I was so, so lucky and blessed to have a really good relationship with my parents. And I talked to them a lot about what I was feeling and what I was going through. And my mom um, got me in touch with uh, an aunt of mine who's, who's a therapist. And she said, that sounds like scrupulosity. And she got me in contact with a therapist around that time. Um, so I went to him for a short amount of time. And that, that really helped me not only get uh, a diagnosis, but really helped me understand what I was up against and kind of paved the, the way for me to, to where I'm at now. And this is, Roughly 12 years ago. You're yes. 20. How old are you, David? 24. So this is 12 years ago. I've heard this term for the first time, you know, six months ago. <laughs> so 12 years ago, it's interesting that the therapist had that expertise to give you the clinical diagnosis and help. Did that solve scrupulosity or do you feel like you're cured from it or just walk our listeners through 12 years of scrupulosity? For me, it's been a road of just up and downs. So definitely not cured, 
Um, and as with lots of, of OCD, um, lots of times it's kind of a, something you deal with for your whole life. Um, and that's definitely how it's been for me. Sometimes are, are great and I'll go for a few years without having any major scrupulosity worries. Um, but then other times I'll get a big spike in that and it'll be really hard for, for a time. Um, and the more I've kind of lived with this and gone through this, the more I've realized the, the scrupulosity thoughts and obsessions are often still there. Um, I've just gotten good at ignoring them or coping with them where it's lots of times it's like, I don't even notice. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm in a really good place with my scrupulosity and, and feel like I have a really good handle on things. Uh, talk about when you feel a spike. Is that because of a, a increase, something else that comes in your life that makes those existing thoughts then be more real to you? Is is just talk about the spike? Yeah, if there's for a backstory sure. behind the spike, or if every spike has a different backstory. That's a really good question. Um, I would say there's a ton of variables that go into that, uh, whether it's just more stress in general in my life or something that comes up where I need to be especially worthy. <laughs> so my mission or temple recommend interviews are really stressful and can often cause a little spike. Um, general conference can sometimes do that anything where you need to have the spirit with you or you're expecting to feel the spirit or they're talking about worthiness, all of those can kind of combine into a perfect storm. And sometimes that will trigger my scrupulosity or make it a little worse. Um, and those spikes have become less and less frequent the longer I've had it, I would say. Um, and I think I've gotten good at kind of preparing for them um, and and just coping with them. Those are great. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and that fits with what I'm trying to understand. Conference is an interesting one. Um, is it the is it the anticipation leading up to conference and knowing there'll be talks about um, worthiness, or is it the actual talk, the content of a talk, or is it both sometimes? It can definitely be both. Um, I remember this last this last general conference, which in general, it's a wonderful experience. And I'm so grateful for um, the things I've learned during general conference and what I felt. But I remember this last general conference through the first couple of talks, just being so anxious that I wasn't feeling the spirit as much as I would have liked. And wondering, well, is there a sin that I haven't repented of? Is there anything I need to clear up? Like, why am I not feeling the spirit right now? Maybe I should be feeling the spirit. Um, and as conference went on, I, I was able to deal with that. It went great. But I think the overall, like leading up to conference um, can be really stressful in that way. And then specific talks, talks that are talking about judgment or... Um, repentance is a big one or or worthiness um, can really cause anxiety. And I've learned from one of the articles that 
Deborah, Dr. McClendon released earlier in the ensign is difference between low anxiety and high anxiety and the and the role of high anxiety um, when those hormones, correct me if I misspeak, are released, that feeling the spirit then is numbed or muted and the correlation between higher anxiety, which obviously is not sin-related, then a decreased ability to feel the spirit. But if you're but then you as a faithful Latter-day Saint may interpret not feeling the Spirit with, and I'm not worthy, and I've done something to make me feel this way. Is that logic? Is that yeah, logic flow I, okay? I love that. I've never put that together in my head in such clear terms. So that was that was great. It yeah, okay. makes a lot of sense. So Jordan, who has the coolest, tell our listeners how you spell Jordan. Everybody needs to see this in their eye, in their head. I spell my name J-O-R-D-Y-N. So I want all our listeners to, you know, when you're talking, to see that spelling as if you're here with um, with your name in front of you, a name badge like on a table, because it's a cool spelling. Well, thank you. Tell our listeners with your journey with scrupulosity. So I haven't always known that I've had scrupulosity um, I was first introduced to the word from David, actually, when we were dating. So this was two and a half years ago, about is when we started dating, um, almost three, actually. Yeah. Um, three. So we had first kind of talked about it. Um, and David kind of shared his story with me and his experience with scrupulosity and going to therapy um, and what that was like. And I really resonated with some of the things that he was telling me. And it made me just think back to experiences in my life that I've had um, with scrupulosity. And we kind of talked about it and I felt like I also had scrupulosity. And when we were getting ready to um, get married and make preparations, I knew that I needed to be worthy to go through the temple. So that was a trigger for me. David kind of talked about triggers or spikes. That was something for me, a big life event where I was expected to be worthy and ready and prepared. Um, and that really made me nervous. So I would go talk to my bishop all the time, at least two or three times a week, probably for months. Um, Just so our listeners heard that two or three times a week for months. Yes. So I think the first time I went to him was in April of 2017. And then we got engaged May. So the next month and then I think I talked to him all the way up until July and we got married in April. August. I mean, August, sorry, in August. So it was a long time and it was kind of spread out. I think there were times when I would go a few weeks without talking to him, but I would worry about these things and these things would just consume my mind. Um, just thoughts of, oh, maybe I sinned. Do I need to clear that up with him? And all growing up, I heard it's never a bad thing to go talk to the bishop, which it's not. It, it never is a bad thing, but for someone like me with scrupulosity, that was a bad thing because it wasn't healthy. I wasn't in a good state of mind. Um, I was just sharing anything and everything with him, trying to clear everything up. And he would always just tell me, you're fine. You're fine. Every time I'd go in, it was, nope, you're fine. You're worthy. You're good. And I would feel good leaving his office. But then two minutes later, I would, all those thoughts and doubts would come back in. And you shared some of those before we went live that were interesting to me. So as you left the bishop's office feeling good, then what were some of the first thoughts that came into your mind that maybe caused you to doubt the feelings you were feeling? So, yeah, so I'd feel really good leaving his office. I would feel totally worthy. 
I'd feel the spirit. I'd feel great. Um, but as soon as I would leave, I would start wondering, well, what if I didn't explain it well enough? Maybe he didn't fully understand. Oh, maybe I left out this small detail. Maybe that's important. And I need to go back and tell him that because maybe that will change things. Maybe I'm not worthy and he needs to know that. Um, so all of those thoughts would consume my mind or I would start thinking about, um, just other things in my life that I thought that I would need to clear up with him. So then I would just send him a text again and say, I need to come back and talk to you tomorrow. And he would, and he would let me, he was really great and patient with me. Um, and I would, he was a great person in my life at that time. He really gave me some good counsel. Um, but I would just always leave feeling those doubts again. I'd feel good, feel the doubts, and then go back. It was just a cycle I couldn't break out of. Did he have any... Uh, I assume that he didn't, like I didn't as a YSA bishop, have any sort of understanding there may be um, a mental illness. If you Would you call this a mental illness going on? Um, yeah. Did he ever sort of think, well, this seems like something that you ought to talk to a therapist about or something may be going on here? Did he just... Glad to meet with you and pronounce you worthy and just kind of recognize that you needed this reassurance. Yeah, I think um, because I was getting prepared to go through a big event in my life, he just wanted to make sure that I felt reassured and good. Um, and he also, several times he pointed out that I needed to just have the faith that I was worthy. I needed to trust in God. Um, but I don't think he realized that there, there was something more. I didn't realize, obviously, that there was something more. I don't think I ever related that to my scrupulosity. Um, otherwise, I feel like I could have coped with it a little bit better. Um, and would you call this a mental illness? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, I think uh, it for sure is a mental illness, and it's something, like David mentioned, that I feel like I've struggled with my whole life. I've been able to think back on experiences from when I was really little. And I just, I worried all the time as a child. Um, even today, my mom and I kind of talk about that. Sometimes I was just a worried little girl <laughs> all the time. Um, worried about yourself and just being square with God or worried about other things too? Yeah. Lots of things. I worried a lot, um, as a child about going to heaven and I would always feel like, I wasn't worthy to go to heaven. And this was back when I was six, seven, eight. I always worried about that. I was really worried to get baptized. I remember that. Um, I was also worried about other people's well-beings. I don't know. I feel like that's something that isn't maybe normal for a seven-year-old. But I remember even worrying about like, oh, I need to share my food with my family members or my grandpa because maybe they didn't get enough to eat. And I would worry, like, if I don't give them my food, they're going to starve or I would just take it to the extreme. So, yeah, as a young child, I've worried a lot. And I think I've had scrupulosity my whole life. Did you talk to David about meeting with the bishop so frequently or did you just keep that to yourself? Um, I don't think we ever really talked about it. I think at the time I just thought that this was something I need to figure out. Um, do you remember me ever telling you... And part of that question is, when did David sort of help? I assume David is the person that helped you realize you have scrupulosity because he understood sure. about So talk about that. I think we did talk about it a little. Um, 
And I think we had even talked about scrupulosity before you had gone into the bishop, right? Yeah, we for sure did. Okay. Yep. Man, doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to remember three years back, but it's <laughs> difficult. Um, I think I think we did talk a little bit about it when you were talking to the bishop. Um, but for some reason, it was hard for us to relate that to your scrupulosity or yeah and it it was a time for sure that i was less focused on scrupulosity less passionate about it um it's kind of in the back of my mind and i'm sure i was dealing with my own scrupulosity and and nervousness about being worthy to be married um but for whatever reason it there was never a time where it clicked like you should probably stop talking to the bishop. Yeah. And I for sure didn't relate that to my scrupulosity. I think until after we were already married and we had started talking more about scrupulosity and got more interested in it and um, trying to figure out what our obsessions were and our compulsions. And I think that's when I thought back to those times when I'd go talk to my bishop and I kind of related it to that. And I would think, oh, that was that was my obsession. I was obsessed with all of these potential mistakes that would keep me out of the temple. And my compulsion was going to talk to the bishop. And I was able to kind of see that afterwards. So I think for sure, if I would have picked up on that during the time, I would have been able to cope with it differently. Did you Do you remember when you sort of the light bulb went off. Was it real gradual or was it just one day when you took on, I have scrupulosity label? Um, I think it was very gradual. I think the more that I learned about it and took the time to um, just learn more about it and ponder on the things that had been hard for me all growing up, that's when I was able to recognize, oh yeah, I for sure um, have scrupulosity and I like these things aren't normal. Like I need to figure this out and I need to figure out ways to. When did help. you know David had scrupulosity was maybe you've already said in the podcast and I've forgotten. Did you know he had scrupulosity when you were dating him? Yeah, I did. So he, I think we first kind of talked about it around April, maybe when we were dating. So he had told me, um, and that's when I first was able to relate with it. And I kind of thought, I thought maybe I also had it but I don't think I took that any farther. I don't think I looked for those tendencies in myself. Um, I just was able to relate to what he had dealt with his whole life. Was it scary to tell somebody you're dating you had scrupulosity, David? Not really, actually. I feel like I've always been pretty open about it. Um, I'm definitely the most open about it now, like way more than I have been growing up. Um, but no, and I think I just understood the relationship I had with Jordan where it wasn't scary necessarily to tell her this, Hey, this is something that I am dealing with and struggling with. So that probably speaks more to Jordan's character than, than anything else. Do you remember when he told you, you have, he has scrupulosity and the second question, did that change your relationship? Um, at all in a good way or a negative way? Or did it cause you to pause a little bit and go, I don't know about David now? <laughs> no, I think it was definitely a good thing. And I, I do remember 
very vividly like where we were. We went on like a hike and we reached the top of the hike and we were um, sitting like just on the cliff and he, we were talking about it and it definitely, I think that strengthened our relationship and because it was something I was able to relate to um, and understand it was just normal and easy and it was good. I felt like it made our relationship even stronger. Um, and we just grew closer. And that's my, my intuition is we shouldn't, you know, share our, there's a, we shouldn't be vulnerable would be sort of my intuition in my age group. And I'm recognizing being vulnerable and real has the chance to bring people closer in a much more authentic committed natural way so i this this doesn't surprise me that it brought you closer um as as david shared his scrupulosity with you and your instagram accounts full of hiking so it doesn't surprise me this happened <laughs> on top of a mountain we try to get out as much as we can <laughs> so um david shared with you his scrupulosity and it didn't it just brought you closer together yeah um talk about um just, you know, you got married and um, you figured out you had scrupulosity too. Did you ever go to therapy? I didn't. I have not been to therapy. Um, I It's something that I am open to doing and I would really like to. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's just something that would be awesome. Do you think just talking with David and his experience sort of met some of that need or all of that need? Yeah, I feel like a little bit. It was nice to have someone who um, has dealt with it for 12 or 13 years and have, has had that experience and he had great coping tools and ways for me to deal with it. That has really helped me. And there are things that I still use in my life. Um, so I think that has helped a lot. I think both of us having it has really strengthened our relationship, but has also helped us individually deal with our scrupulosity. Tell our listeners the name of just how they find your account on on Instagram and why you decided to go public. Yeah, so it's called Scroop Crew, um, S C R U P, and then Crew. Um, and we decided to start the Instagram. Actually, my my brother suggested it. Um, he was kind of seeing how much. Uh, we were involved in it, how much we talked about it anyway, um, kind of the how it was helping other people. Um, and he suggest, he he has an Instagram um, where he shares some of the things that he's passionate about um, as a runner. And so he had kind of scoped that out and was really good at um doing Instagram can had kind of figured out how that could be helpful for other people. And so he recommended that we, we start an Instagram and and immediately resonated with me just because, um, we are big proponents of, of being open and sharing our story. And, um, the best feeling in the world is, uh, talking to someone who who doesn't know they have scrupulosity and helping them figure that out or or seeing that light bulb um, come on where and we've had this experience several times for someone and it's not even like we're 
going out and seeking it, we'll just be be talking about our own experience. Um, and and someone will say, oh my gosh, this is what I've been struggling with for all these years. This is so relatable. And so just the opportunity to have more of those experiences um, really drove that decision to start an Instagram. And it's your B, one of your BYU professors at BYU, obviously at BYU, that made me aware of your account. I can't remember if I mentioned that at the beginning. And I can't pronounce her last name. Will you tell our listeners her name? Yeah, Dr. Spute. Dr. Spute. I keep, and um, she's great. And it, this just came up in casual conversations. I was visiting with her, teaching her gender of psychology class, and she made me aware of your Instagram account. And it's been very helpful to me just to read through. Um and so now I'd love to talk about um, some of the ways that, you know, you advise other people to solve scrupulosity or manage it, um, because my intuition would not use these things that you are teaching. And as I've learned about this space, what you're doing is correct. And I'm remembering being a YSA bishop and not having any experience with this, and and so and recognizing that people would naturally come in and talk to me about stuff. And I'm recognizing that even that cycle for somebody that has scrupulosity, I'm in some ways doing a disservice because I'm just reinforcing the cycle versus addressing a core issue that's clinical in nature, that's not a spiritual weakness, that then doesn't need to be solved with increased spiritual behavior. And it's a completely different category than typically bishops would address that you're more spiritual weaknesses and using spiritual tools to solve. And so that's was been very interesting for me. Um, so just, you could talk about some of your posts at this point. Just if I, if you were, if you were talking to a bunch of YSA bishops or a bunch of parents, <laughs> which you are on this podcast right now, what would you say to them? on how to identify somebody in their life that has scrupulosity and what things to share with them that are helpful? Um, I think as far as identifying, um, because I haven't always known that I've had scrupulosity and I haven't been clinically diagnosed, I think I've just been able to pick up on things that has led me to identify it for myself. So um, I've noticed these OCD tendencies in myself where I obsess over something that is related to um, the gospel in some way. So with worthiness or filling the spirit or repentance, things like that, I obsess over those things. And I, my compulsion is to somehow fix it so that I am worthy and so that I have repented and so that I do feel the spirit. Um, so I've been able to use that as a way to identify it in my life. Um, do you have anything? Yeah, I think what Jordan said is is perfect. Realizing scrupulosity is a form of obsessive compulsive disorder um, is probably the best way of recognizing it. Because as soon as you're able to kind of isolate um, and find a pattern of those obsessions and compulsions, um, that's what makes it unique from, or that's what I would say makes it unique from perfectionism or... Um, just an anxiety over, over being good, um, is those obsessions and compulsions. So that's a, that's a really good way to, to recognize it as well as to treat it. Um, 
possibly the the biggest um coping mechanism or the best way to to deal with scrupulosity is stopping the compulsions um compulsions are are reinforcing and they reinforce the those obsessions and so being able to stop the compulsion whether that be apologizing or praying or going to the bishop going to the bishop being able to have the faith and the the knowledge to stop doing that for a while is what ultimately gets rid of those obsessions and it's interesting because the things we're stopping aren't bad things like i mentioned it's never bad to go talk to the bishop it's never bad to pray it's never bad to repent or apologize those things aren't bad things but when you have scrupulosity it is bad because it keeps you in that cycle and it's just kind of tearing you down and it's just not good for your mental health talk about this um i wrote down from your instagram on this idea is um, taking fears to their worst case scenario as a way of solving scrupulosity. Yeah, this is, I love this um, aspect of scrupulosity um, because I see it as the way that I really broke through and it was a really big moment for me um, when I kind of learned this coping mechanism. Um, but pretty much I... I just made a decision that I was worthy and that I was going to live that way until I found out I wasn't. <laughs> and I, I, I was able to do that because I, I thought of, well, worst case scenario, I continue living my life trying to be the best person I can be. And worst case scenario, I, I get to the afterlife and I've made a mistake that I never cleared up and um, and Heavenly Father sits down with me and he says you know there was a mistake when you were in high school that you never fully repented of and I, I decided and I have the faith um, in the nature of God to realize that that is okay if that's the worst case scenario if I really am not worthy um, I have the faith that I will be able to figure that out when, when the time comes and whether that's, um, heavenly father telling me in a way that I can't misunderstand, um, that I'm worthy or, or even figuring it out after this life, I have, I've made the decision that I'm going to live like I'm worthy until I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm not, um, because I'm never going to know for sure. I don't know if that if that's that a makes great sense. answer. It does. Um, when you say I got up, to, would you then even be open with the possibility that you're not going to get in the celestial kingdom um, because of this conversation, or would you just stop there and say I'm going to leave that at the Savior's or at Heavenly Father's Savior's feet to decide my eternal outcome? Yeah, and that's that's where I've come to the point where it's it's out of my hands and. Um, that's where my knowledge of, of Christ and his atonement and as well as just the nature of Heavenly Father have really helped is I know that they know I have scrupulosity and I know that they know 
um, how hard it is to know if I'm worthy. Um, so when I'm making a decision not to go see the bishop or making a decision not to apologize, um, I feel supported by God and I feel um, understood by God that that is the healthiest path for me in living the gospel. I love that you went to the next life. Um, I just love this idea as you take fears to the worst case scenario as a way to solve scrupulosity. And I love the way you took that to the next life, to a conversation with Heavenly Father about an unrepented something at age 15. <laughs> and then I love where your sort of understanding of our doctrine, David, kicked in and said, I'm just going to leave this seat of loving Heavenly Parents and a Savior. And I'm not going to then go to the next worst case scenario where I'm thinking because of this unrepented thing at age 15 that I'm not, my eternal destiny has changed and I'm not going to go there. I'm going to leave that at the Savior's. I'm going to let them decide. Um, and I just love that thought process. And um, it does if you accept your worst fear, does that make it more likely you won't live a good life and you're just self you're sort of knowing that things you're not savable or does it just, is it result in just the opposite? You feel better about yourself. And so you're more likely to be okay. Um, I can, I can honestly see it going either way. Um, because I've made this decision at the moment that I, that I am worthy. I could grow super lax about living the gospel commandments and, um, I don't personally see that happening to myself, um, but that it that is a possibility. But on the other hand, I've I've found that it helps me um, live the gospel as it was meant to be lived, um, with the right motives. Um, so many times when we act on compulsions um, as people with scrupulosity, it's out of fear. We're not, we're not praying because we want a relationship with God or, um, or to just talk to him. We're praying because we're scared what will happen if we don't, um, or we're not going to talk to the bishop to make, to become a better person or to change its it's out of fear of what will happen if we don't go talk to the bishop. So I think making this decision and um, kind of taking things to the worst case scenario has really helped me live um, the gospel with better motives. Um, at least I'd like to think that's, that's so. Um, and just have a healthier view of, I am doing this to become the best person I can possibly become. And because I love God, not because I'm afraid of him. Jordan, thoughts on this? Yeah, I totally agree with them. I uh, feel the same way. Um, a lot of times when my scrupulosity has been triggered or I'm worrying about things, my the compulsions that come to my mind that I want to do are out of fear of God and fear of, well, if I don't do this, then this will happen. And some of my coping mechanisms are the same where I decide, nope, I'm not going to act on that compulsion because I don't want to do it 
just because I'm fearful. I want to do things because I love God and I want to show him that I love him and I want to better my relationship with him. I don't want to just be scared of him and trying to do all these things, this whole checklist of things because I'm scared of him. So I think knowing that and recognizing the love of God versus fearing God has really helped me. I love what you just taught about fear. To me, fear is, I don't know if this is completely true, but it's, I think shame and fear are sometimes tools of Satan. Um, fear can help us do the right thing. And maybe shame can too, although I'm really not into shame. I think it's just a tool of the devil to keep us isolated in our imperfections and unworthy of God's love. Uh, but I love faith-based decisions versus fear-based decisions. And I love your difference of why you'd go up to the bishop and why you'd go to Heavenly Father. And I think it, there's a lot of fear um, motivating behavior in our faith and probably other faiths. And that's probably okay if it's motive, if the outcome is good behavior, but I think it's better what you just described. Um, and that to me is more consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ that doesn't, that is a gospel of love, a gospel of hope, a gospel of moving forward, a gospel of access, accessing the atonement. So I love that. And I love making faith-based decisions versus fear-based decisions. Um, so that's, I, I, on our earlier episode, episode 199, um, Tim in the last 20 minutes shares how he took fears to his worst case scenario as going on a mission with undiagnosed scrupulosity. And he got on his mission. It was the first time that his worthiness was directly correlated with someone else's salvation. And <laughs> David's nodding his head because <laughs> this is just David's world that he knows. And, and Tim, you know, just... It, it was a paradigm shift for him because he recognized he needed to be perfectly clean, perfectly worthy, all these sometimes cultural things that we put on ourselves because I think it was a mission in Chile, you know, others' salvation depended on him being perfectly worthy and he didn't feel perfectly worthy and he didn't have a way to deal with that. So I asked him how he solved it. He said, and I just, my heart just breaks when I heard this. He said, well, I just... I, I just knew I was damned to hell because of my thoughts, because of my past, even though I'd been declared clean multiple times. And he said, I can't save myself, but I can still save other people. So that's what kept him on his mission. And in his mid-30s, he'd love to go back, obviously, and talk to us however old he was when he went on his mission and, and help him feel worthy, help him understand what was going on there. And he should have felt the Spirit. Um, but no one just had the tools to help um, Tim feel the spirit like he should have. When you hear that, Jordan, what do you think? I pointed at, I said Jordan and pointed at David. I've probably done that a few times. David, what do you think? Um, first of all, like you said, it, it breaks my heart to um, hear that because it's so um, unnecessary um, and just really sad that um we ever have to feel that way and um i love what you said though about um just that that knowledge um that we have now 
of being able to to help other people with this he wished he could go back and and let himself know that hey you don't necessarily have to um, feel this way um, you are worthy to feel the spirit um, but at the same time just tim's uh, resolve of you know this is this is where i'm at and this is the situation i'm in and i'm going to do the best with what i've got and i'm still going to help these other people um it's really admirable it is really admirable and i'm as I'm experiencing more people with scrupulosity, you guys won't let me give you compliments probably, but I'm recognizing a character attribute that might be correlated with scrupulosity, which is a really core desire to do the right thing and a deep commitment to our faith and a deep desire to do what's right and a deep desire to help other people. And so I, that's a future research project for you, David. Is, <laughs> Sounds great. Um, I've wondered if those that are some of our most committed members, however we're measuring that, have an increased likelihood for this because they're so serious about their faith and their own personal worthiness and journey um, and recognizing that they want to be just where they need to be um, versus somebody who maybe is, however I want to describe that. Um did you have anything to add to this section, Jordan? No, I think that's awesome. I totally agree. That is just super admirable how Tim was willing to keep going to serve others and save others, which is super awesome. And I totally agree with what you said. I feel like other people that I've talked to that have scrupulosity, I feel like when you get to the core of them, they just want to be a good person and... I think that's really awesome. I feel like sometimes with scrupulosity, our moral compass can be almost to the extreme of trying to do good, you know, and and because we have those OCD tendencies, it's just everything's taken to the extreme, but it all comes back to just wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be worthy. And I've wondered, and this is a future research project, is if there's more going on in our faith than other faiths um, where people are deeply committed. Maybe it's equal in Catholics and Jews and Jehovah Witnesses, or maybe there's this, maybe even an increase in our faith. I don't know that's true, but I look at some of um, culturally, well, there is a scripture that says, be therefore perfect. <laughs> I like Elder Holland adding, be the, the therefore perfect eventually mm-hmm. to a recent talk. You're yeah. nodding your heads, you know that talk. I'm aware that we've talked to our missionaries about perfect obedience. I've been uncomfortable about that phrase for a long time, to be honest. Uh, Maybe that's my feeling as a father raising kids that I've never expected my kids to be perfectly obedient ever. And that seems like an unattainable goal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That may just add to our feelings of, of never quite making it. Um, as I shared on Tim's podcast, I've picked up this phrase, sometimes a, a sin-resistant generation that I've been a little nervous about that just implies that we could be, you could be the first generation that doesn't sin. <laughs> um, if you, if we as parents do everything right and you do everything right, it's possible. The, I'm thinking of a Teflon pan when I hear sin-resistant that nothing sticks to it somehow because of this treatment we've given to the pan. Um, and so nothing could sort of cause any of our YSA age or younger to, or my age, anybody to sin. And I just don't think that's consistent with our doctrine. 
um, and the realities of life. Um, so those are just some thoughts on that. Um, anything to add to any of that? Um, I like what you said about how with your own kids, you, with them growing up, you haven't expected them to be perfectly obedient. Um, and I, something that helps me is picturing God in that way. He doesn't expect me to be totally perfect. And even though there are scriptures that say, be therefore perfect and things like that, he, he knows I'm going to make mistakes. That's why we're here on earth. Um, and I think just knowing the true nature and character of God is something that has really helped me, um, better understand my relationship with him. Talk about that a little bit more, Jordan, when you say the true character of God. I think sometimes, um, I can have a warped view of God and when I make a mistake, I'm scared of him or I think he's some scary being that's going to send me to hell and (laughs) just a very scary, sometimes I have a very scary image of God. But when I take a step back and realize, no, he's on my side. He loves me with a perfect love. He loves me more than anyone else. And he knows me. That is something that really helps me. I think, um, just realizing that God is merciful and he wants me to return back and live with him again. Those are some huge things that helps me. I love that. I love our doctrine of how we teach about loving heavenly parents. It's one of my core anchors of my faith in the church is restored doctrine about loving heavenly parents and their nature of them and their relationship with us. Anything to add to this segment that comes to your mind, David? Um, Just really quick, when we were talking about scriptures, um, I think those are two very important um, ways to cope with scrupulosity in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is is one, what we already addressed, understanding the true nature of God, um, but two, understanding scriptural context and really understanding um, how those relate to us. I think anyone could have scrupulosity reading the Old Testament um, with some of those those stories in there. Um, it makes God out to be very harsh and punitive Um, And the more I've learned kind of about the cultural background of scriptures and why they're written that way um, has really helped me apply them to myself in a more practical and realistic and healthy way. I love that. Um, Do either of you want to talk about the difference between worth and worthiness? Yeah, um, I think... That's a really important um, topic, and I think it's becoming more and more talked about, which is which is awesome. Um, and that is often confused in people that have scrupulosity. Um, scrupulosity makes you want to say, "I am a bad person. Um, I am not of value. Um, I am not of worth." Um, and it's very shame related in that way. Um, whereas a healthy view of, of worthiness, um, is I have done a bad thing that is, that is not necessarily reflective of my worth. Um, our worth never changes in, in God's eyes. Um, he 
Our worth never changes in God's eyes. That's great, David. And our worthiness might, um, but that's that's a distinction that needs to be made with people that have scrupulosity is, is that. Yeah, I totally agree. We're always going to be of worth to Heavenly Father, no matter what, we're always going to be His children. That never changes. Um, and I think our worthiness can change, as David said, but they are two different things. And I don't think because we sin or because we make mistakes that never changes our worth. I agree. And I think that word in our culture is often tied with having a temple recommended being able to go to the temple, which is, there is a bar for that, obviously. Um, and so we sometimes say you're worthy to go to the temple and, um, and I, but I don't want to then make that are, you know, are you worthy um, of God's love or just, and so I like separating those two and not tying our worth, our worth into, um, yeah, I invite everybody to have a temple recommend and do what's right. But I think our worth is independent of that. I sometimes right now, there's a little bit of back and forth um, between is God's love unconditional I've heard some conference talks where a leader has said God's love is unconditional and God's love is unconditional. And that just may be a personal preference within our doctrine of loving heavenly parents. I do. I, I found this quote from president Hinckley at a, at a Christmas devotional when he was the first counselor in the first presidency. This is pretty old, but he does say in moments of quiet, we reflect upon his matchless life and his unconditional love for each of us. And my personal feeling is I like to think of heavenly parents as, as having unconditional love for us. And because the only way I can, uh, the only way I can approach that is a father of, of six kids. And I have unconditional love for my kids. Nothing they can do can take them outside of my love for them. I can't imagine anything they do. And so I have to just think I'm a little speck of our eternal heavenly father that would look the same way ac across the whole human race and feel the same way. And now that doesn't take commandment keeping off the table or, you know, covenants because he's unconditional. I just think that if we look at heavenly parents that way and we feel then we're worthy of this unconditionally love, then I think we're more likely to make better decisions. Um, and if we've got a measure of scrupulosity going on within us, then we're, we put ourselves in a better emotional spot to pray and feel like we're worthy of God's love to help us in our lives. Any thoughts on that? I know I'm doing a little bit of the talking right now. That was beautifully said. You okay that was with awesome. that? Yeah. Talk about um, another term on your Instagram feed. Um, t sometimes people with scrupulosity have a low uncertainty tolerance. If that's if I wrote it out right, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. There's there's been research that shows that people with scrupulosity um, have a really hard time being uncertain about things, or their uncertainty tolerance is low. And what that looks like on an individual level is um, not knowing if you're worthy is really difficult. And I've kind of decided that I might not ever know if I'm worthy and I've had to become a, okay with that level of uncertainty. 
um, which has been really helpful for me. Um, but I think that's a lot of where these compulsions come from, especially to talk to bishops, um, because bishops are able to give a level of certainty there. They're able to say, you are worthy. Um, you're okay. You're good to go. And hearing that from someone else is really, really rewarding as someone with scrupulosity. Um, but that's the danger is that that often becomes a compulsion. Um, so that's kind of where that, where that shows up with, with people that have scrupulosity. Thank you, David. Jordan, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think that's totally true. I know that when I would go to the bishop all the time, that's what I was looking for. Looking back now, that's what I was looking for. I needed that certainty. I needed him to tell me, yes, you're worthy because it was so hard for me to trust myself and know for myself I needed to rely on someone else. Um, I think it can also show up with just like gray areas of the church. Um, is this right? Is this wrong? Things that we need to figure out for ourselves. That can be hard for me because I want a yes and no answer. I want to know whether yes is what I should be doing or no, this isn't what I should be doing. Um, so that's something I struggle with and something that I'm still trying to work on is just having enough faith to trust myself and rely on God and rely on the spirit. It's good. Really good. Yeah. I like linking that into sometimes the complex issues of our church, either current issues or historical issues. And I've, and I do think it's okay to live with a le level of ambiguity or I don't think I think there's great beauty and uncertainty. I don't think it means that we're not in. I think that that to me is for many people um, a sign of growth in their faith and in their life journey versus having everything be resolved. Um, this prior guest, Tim, talked about the big questions um, in our church and society and the inferences, there's big answers. And one of the things he shared on that podcast, 199, is often there isn't the big answer and the, and the, the ability then to sit in that ambiguity regarding that issue or sit in the ambiguity of, of just where do I stand with God and what people with scrupulosity do and just be able to move on um, and sort of leave it at the Savior's feet. I love the way you just moved on and said, well, if, if there's something I've missed or my weaknesses, I'll just... We'll have that conversation with Heavenly Father. And I love the grace you gave yourself in that, David, with you said, he knows I have scrupulosity. He understands that. I think the one of the messages of the atonement is he, he descended below all things. And so I think below all things includes scrupulosity, <laughs> even though there are no scriptures in the New Testament where Christ is declared to have scrupulosity. <laughs> I don't think that's there. But I think our doctrine would help us understand that he knows. Um, even though increased prayer can't solve this, I don't want to link that up with sort of uh, the, it's sort of what I often say to my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, the atonement can't sort of, you know, it can't, the atonement can't make me from right-handed to left-handed. It can't make my eyes from blue to brown. Um, so I'm not, so I think it's important that this is not something the atonement can solve, but perhaps there's a role for the atonement to know that 
your older brothers walk this road and can provide a measure of hope or healing. Is that a, do you tie the atonement in with managing scrupulosity? Or do you just separate as a mental illness that like depression or anxiety, it's not realistic to access the power of atonement to, just like you wouldn't access the atonement to solve a ruptured appendicitis. Any thoughts on that? I think I've heard for sure rely on the atonement um, in my scrupulosity. And a lot of that is having faith that it works for me. Good. Um having faith that I don't need a certain, yes, you are worthy. Um, but having faith that I've done my part and, and Christ has, has obviously done, done his part to, um, to, to cover my mistakes. Um, there's a term in scrupulosity, um, uh, or there's a idea in scrupulosity where it's grace versus, versus legalism. And people with scrupulosity tend to score high on levels of legalism, which in essence is I've got to, to gut this out on my own. I've got to figure this out. I've got to become perfect off of my own merits. Um, people with scrupulosity have those tendencies. And so instead being able to rely on the atonement and say, I can rely on Christ's grace regardless of, of what I have done um, is a really powerful coping mechanism. I love that. Um, an earlier guest shared with me the atonement for him or her isn't you know, like the atonement gets me, my good works get me 70% there and the atonement makes up the difference. The atonement is the, is the difference. And it's not sort of this, I'll do 70% of the atonement does a 30% to create a hundred percent. Um, and I like that. I like that, that it's just parallel with us as we're doing our best. Talk about, um, a couple of things come to mind, self-compassion, um, was one of your Instagram posts. Do you want to talk about that, Jordan? Yeah. So David, this is something that David really loves to talk about. And I think he's taken classes at BYU on self-compassion. So, but we found it to be um, a huge part with scrupulosity, just learning to just love yourself. And like we talked about earlier, make that distinction between worth and worthiness. Do you have anything else to add on it? Um. Yeah, but pretty much that. Um, there's a couple of different parts of self-compassion. One of those is is treating yourself like you would treat a good friend, um, which can be really helpful with scrupulosity, or treating yourself as you think God would treat you. Um, another part of self-compassion is a common humanity. So realizing that our mistakes, um, everyone makes mistakes, and we're all in this together and um, we can figure this out together. That's a huge part of self-compassion as well. I love that. I love what you said, treat yourself the way a friend would treat you. Often we're our own worst critics and our own worst enemies. Um, 
I've shared this quote before about shame. Shame, you know, shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. I've always thought that our doctrine from heavenly parents would want us to look in the mirror and first see ourselves as a as their divine child worthy of their love and not see our shortcomings or weaknesses. And I just think that helps us be in a better spot. Another question comes to my mind. I don't know where these questions come from. <laughs> um, have you thought about um, raising kids? And will you tell your kids about your own scrupulosity? Yeah, we definitely have. Um, we hope to have kids in the future. And I think our plan is to just be super open with them about their own struggles, our struggles, just just having a super open relationship why? As a family, we just think that that's just such a healthy way to grow closer together. It's definitely helped us in our own relationship, grow closer together and be open and be able to discuss things, even hard things and work through it as a family. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd answer that question that way. And you know, I I think I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast live before we went live. I've seen a therapist a couple times in my life, once before my mission and once while I was serving as a YSA bishop. And I I never thought to tell my kids that I had seen a therapist before we got married. I just thought that would help me through that period of time and I need to be the father that um was kind of without weakness or without whatever. And I don't look at scrupulosity as a weakness, but I recognize that if I'm kind of honest as a parent, like you're going to do and open, that it creates an environment where I'm safe for my kids. And I would think one of the paydays of your ability to talk about this on social media with each other and with others is your own children opening up to you about stuff. And you may never have a kid with scrupulosity or a grandkid with scrupulosity. You may never have a discussion with one of your own, you know, kids about their own scrupulosity, but other stuff will happen. And I think you have great parent paydays ahead of you because you're walking this road where you'll just sort of be able to talk about complicated stuff with your kids. And they'll sometimes just get that mom and dad are safe for me to open up about what's going on in my life. And so that's one of the improvements from my parents' generation to me, to your generation younger than me. I'm 58, you're 24. Um, you're almost two generations younger than me. <laughs> Not quite, but... You look great. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, and I just, you great parent paydays ahead of you um, because of your ability to talk about this and recognize this is just who I am and it's nothing to be shamed about. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I think there's wonderful parent days ahead of you. Talk about David, some of your potential research you want to do. Um, if you're, you know, in your hope to get a PhD and then not go into clinical, but go into research and teaching. I just think there's so much we don't know about scrupulosity and perfectionism. Um, that's actually one of the things I want to kind of look at is, is where the line is. What's the difference between scrupulosity and maladaptive perfectionism? Um, I've had so many experiences where 
I share my story with scrupulosity and it's so relatable to everyone. <laughs> we we might all be a little hard on ourselves. Yes. Um which is awesome. It's it's so fun and rewarding to um be able to connect with with people in that way. But really looking at where where that line is. Um we talked a little bit about diagnosis earlier and they're actually so that the DSM-5 is the the diagnosing tool of um in psychology to diagnose mental illness and there actually isn't um scrupulosity doesn't have its own really? diagnosis in that in that manual um OCD does and and in the OCD section it mentions some of these obsessions might be of religious nature but that's kind of all it says about it um and so i i think there's possibility and room for growth there where we can really understand scrupulosity on its own and and really be able to diagnose it um effectively and accurately i like that um i haven't talked about this concept for a while but i'm different thoughts come into my mind that might be helpful for our listeners. The idea of a pink Mormon. Have you ever heard of a pink Mormon, David or Jordan? I don't no. think so. It's Can't Michael wait. Wilcox, my institute teacher taught me this and he talked about, and I don't think this is related to scrupulosity. It's just a mindset that I think is really helpful. I used to share with the YSAs, but when someone sins, I think they think that they sort of, they read the scripture in Isaiah that says, though your sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. And they go, that doesn't apply to me. And they think like this with a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part, and a lot of repenting on my part, I can get from red to a light shade of pink. <laughs> <laughs> and they have then what Brother Wilcox called pink Mormon thinking. They think, well, I'm never going to be as good as her, you know him I'm never going to be as good a missionary as him because I did this. I'm never going to be worthy to marry somebody that I first thought I could marry. And they sort of self-determined a different path for them in their life because of a past sin. And they don't really own our doctrine. <laughs> that And that, that, that scripture says, though your sin be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. And so I don't think that applies to scrupulosity. You two can chime in, but I think it's just... If you have pink Mormon thinking, don't. <laughs> um, and I think culturally we sometimes do, and we sometimes think of us, ourselves as damaged goods or broken or our future is forever changed or for single, our future spouse would now we're disqualified from the kind of person we wanted. And, and I also think about the parable of the prodigal son, which answers the question, when we've come back from sin, how does our Heavenly Father feel about us? And I love that, you know, it's the worst case scenario because this guy, you know, sold his birthright and broke up, did all these sins. So Christ sets up the very worst case scenario. And this man, the verse, you know, the words are, he came unto himself, which means to me, he just realized he needed a change. And so he comes back, but he self-determines his, his new role in his family as a servant. And he says, I'll just be a servant. That's better than where I am now. And then, of course, he's running, coming across the hill, and his father sees him, which to me represents Heavenly Father, our Savior, and how he responds to us when we come back. And 
to me, it's the pinnacle of all the parables in the New Testament. And that father, you know, runs towards his son. He doesn't make him grovel. He doesn't give him the cold shoulder. Um, and he just hugs him. And I think it amazes his son. And he sort of says, why are you treating me this way? I've sinned against heaven and thee. And and then he for answer, ever answers the question, when we come back, do we come back as a son or a servant? And he put a coat on him and a ring on his finger that signified sonship. So I just think the power of our doctrine about repentance is is just indescribably wonderful. And this is not... I don't think this ties into scrupulosity. Maybe you've got some, maybe it does. (laughs) We'll get David and Jordan back on here, but um, I just, you know, we're never meant to be perfect. And I've always felt like the atonement makes us clean from sin, but then we learn lifelong lessons through the sin that make us better. Um, We have better Christ-like attributes. We have better empathy. We have better ability to connect. And so those of you that are listening that have prior sins or working through sins, the atonement makes you clean, but you've got to feel like you're not a pink Mormon. You've got to feel like you're worthy of God's love and your worth hasn't changed. And you may, as you put things behind you, have the ability to help people in a way that you never thought possible. And they'll never fully realize why you're able to help them because you won't, you know, they just won't know about your time in that faraway land. And I think we all spend some time in that faraway land. Um, I don't think it's in, you know, some of us are there longer than others and some of us do worse stuff there than others, but (laughs) it's just part of mortality. So any thoughts on that, David or Jordan? Take it away. We'll have Jordan go first (laughs) and see if David has some thoughts. Um, Well, I was just thinking of, I think it's true that sometimes when we um, fall away, like the prodigal son, when we come back, we might have a totally different different experience than if we would have just stayed. It might be different now and things might change a little bit. But I think if we are doing what's right and we're striving to keep the commandments, like Heavenly Father is going to make us have a good experience with wherever we're at. Um, even though if we wouldn't have made that sin or we wouldn't have done that, we, even though like we just did. And so Heavenly Father is going to make the best of that experience with where we're at now. If we choose to come back, we might be in a different place, but he's going to help us with where we're at. Love that, Jordan. I know we're thinking about the same person. Yeah, you can probably <laughs> explain it better than I did. Um, no, that was that was perfect. We, we just have a friend um, that has scrupulosity that we've been talking with. Um, and that's one of her biggest worries is if I make this one mistake, my whole, the whole trajectory of my life is going to change. And how scary is that? Like, like just, everything's ruined. Everything's going to be different mistake. from this one mistake. Um, and so just that idea, like Jordan um, said, is, is Heavenly Father is going to make the best of each road that we're going to find ourselves on um, if we're relying on him and if we trust him. Um, so I definitely think that applies to to what you were saying, um, definitely with scrupulosity. Um, any final things you'd like to share with our listeners? Any of the Instagram posts that come to mind and the principles of any of those posts or just anything else you'd like to share with our listeners in closing? 
something that I'd like to add, it just came to mind and I feel like I would regret it if I didn't say it because it's helped me so much. But um, my mom actually told me this and, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about being able to be open with your parents. Um, I'm, I was so blessed as a kid to be able to talk to my parents about my scrupulosity when I didn't even know that's what it was. Um, and my mom probably understands scrupulosity the best out of any person that doesn't have it. <laughs> she, she really gets me. Um, what's her first name? Her name is Orva, O-R-V-A. Orva, if you're listening, you deserve this shout out. <laughs> She's uh side note, my parents are actually on a mission right now in, wow. in Costa Rica. So, but That's I told great. her we were doing this and she's very excited. Um, anyway, she, she told me that every time you feel the spirit, that is Heavenly Father telling you you're okay, that you are on the right path, that you are forgiven. And that has saved me so many times um, to be able to rely on on that promise. Um, and there have been talks since then um, and before then that I've that I've talked about that general authorities have um, talked about. I'm thinking of President Iring in particular has has mentioned that once we we feel the spirit, that is that is Heavenly Father's reassurance that we're we're all right. Um, and that, that is huge. I feel like that can't be, um, understated is that, that promise and that assurance. Are there other conference talks that come to mind that have been particularly helpful for you? It's a good question. Um, is Elder Holland's broken vessel talk where he talks about his own challenges with emotional, I don't know if you use the word illness challenges. Has that resonated for you? For sure. For sure. And there's lots and lots of um, talks and messages given by the general authorities that um, have added up to my understanding of, of God and repentance that have definitely helped me with scrupulosity. But that particular one um, for sure is is helpful and relatable um, in a way that we don't often get to see with the general authorities, I feel like. It's yeah. really, really cool to see that with Elder Holland, that it's okay that I deal with this. It's okay that my mind doesn't work like other people's. Um, and that's all right. And the more we're open about it, the more... We'll understand it and be able to help each other. I do think there's a principle there that you shared about, you know, sometimes I think we want our leaders to be perfect or they feel they need to be perfect and not be vulnerable. But then when Elder Holland's confident enough to be vulnerable, then it just draws us all towards Elder Holland. Um, so he has many gifts, but that talk was a really good talk for me too. Uh, my respect for him went up. <laughs> My love for him went up. My ability to see him as a prophet, seer, and revelator went up as he was vulnerable in that moment. And I recognized I wanted to do that more as a father um, and in church assignments in an appropriate way. 
as a way just to be real and then bring us, because I think in our vulnerabilities, we heal each other um, as we talk about them and share them in an appropriate way at the appropriate time with others. Jordan, any final thoughts from you? Um, I also want to just add to what David said about learning to recognize the spirit and holding on to that as a way to know that you're worthy and you're on the right path. That's something that has helped me time and time again um, when I've been struggling with my worthiness and knowing if I'm worthy or not. I just try to think back on times when I've felt the spirit and I hold on to those times. And I also try to look for times in my day um, where I am feeling the spirit. And David at one point gave me a good idea to just make a list in my phone of any time I feel like I'm feeling the spirit. I just keep a list and that's something that I can refer back to. It's a great idea. What a great practical idea. So thank you, David and Jordan Johnson. Shout out to David's parents, brother, elder and sister Johnson serving in Costa Rica. Thanks for your service and the fa- and the good families you both come from. And thank our listeners for learning about scrupulosity. Encourage you to share this podcast. I think this is something that we can learn to talk about. And my guess is like Jordan is sharing that there's a lot of undiagnosed scrupulosity in faithful Latter-day Saints that is causing unnecessary hardship and burden that heavenly our heavenly parents would not want their children to feel. And I think this is a maturing of our culture and our understanding is to be able to address some of these things head on. Um, so to me, it's a sign of doing better and moving in the right direction, but it takes courageous couples like you. This is why I have so much faith in the future of our church and our society is couples like you that are able to talk about these kind of things and have a platform. Maybe we'll just end reminding everybody to go to Scroop, S-C-R-U-P, crew, at Instagram and follow this account. And, and if you have stories you want to share, I think you're staring some stories on those. So um, I know those one story with, I think you linked to a video. And so I encourage um, anybody that, you know, that wants to help this platform that Jordan and David are doing, this isn't kind of like, I think a three month thing they're doing. I think this is maybe part of their lifelong ministry to help in this way. Um, please, you know, share your story with them and get on their Instagram feed and um, so that more and more are connected with the things they're teaching and sharing. And um, we appreciate those of you that are rating our podcast We um, and giving a comment that helps um, listenership grow. At least that's what someone told me. Um, we're never doing any sponsors, so we're not going to go down that road. And we just thank our listeners for listening to a, another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>